Okay, good morning everyone. I want to thank Dvorah and Avi Orlan for sponsoring again in memory of their beloved daughter, Miriam Esther Bas Avram Yitzchak, whose neshama should have an aliyah. Okay, we essentially finished that piece in Revolbi, in Alishur, and I thought uh, before we'd go on to just a random piece on Amuna in general, this parsha is the parsha. Last week, we last several weeks, we were discussing the relationship of Amuna and Bitachon on the one hand, and Ishtadlis, the relationship between initiative and free will, and... Uh, faith and Amuna. So the Parsha, the main source for this discussion is our Parsha. When the Jewish people are boxed in, we referenced it in the Parsha class a little bit, but we didn't fully expand on it. When the Jewish people are boxed in, when we're stuck between literally the rock and the hard place, the Mitzrim are pursuing us from behind, and the sea is blocking us from in front, and the Jewish people do exactly what you would think was the appropriate or correct thing for them to do. What are they doing? Titzak. Why did Hashem first respond in Egypt? What were they doing that made Hashem respond? They were tzakim, they were crying out, they were calling out to Hashem. So here again, they're stuck. And when a person feels stuck, what are they supposed to do? I would think, when a person feels stuck, the best thing to do is to daven. And yet what does Hashem do? He says, close the tehillim, close the sitter, what are you davening for? Stop davening and start doing. And start doing. And all the commentaries and all the discussion, that's why I say this is ground zero for the discussion of the relationship between initiative and effort on the one end and faith in Hashem on the other. So this is a piece in the Nesiva show and the Salon Rebbe will study together. The commentaries all ask, why is Hashem saying, why are you calling out to me? What else is there for a Jew to do? We Jews have been trained in training our children that when we feel stuck, when we're in a moment of crisis, we should intuit that we call out to Hashem. Rav Pinkus and Sharon Betfila describes that, that a Jew needs to develop their intuition, that when you're worried, when you're anxious, when there's something which is a sense of urgency, the intuition is to cry out to Hashem. Just like a person says, ouch, when they get hurt. So you say, ouch, when something hurts. And he describes there that when you hear a siren, an ambulance goes by, then you stop and you say, I don't know what that's about. I don't know if that's a woman in labor. I don't know if that's a person had a heart attack. I don't know what it's about. Give them a Help them. You have a thought. You turn to Hashem. You hear a siren. You see an emergency. There's a problem. We're taught. That as Jews, what we do is our intuition, our spiritual 911, is that there's an emergency, you call Hashem. So if that's what we're taught to do, why here is Hashem criticizing? Why is He saying, stop davening, stop crying, stop calling out, and start doing? What else is the Jew to do? As the Pasuk says, Minameitzar Karasika, from the Minameitzar, Meitzar is from the boundary, from the border, from a place, from a place of the narrow straits from a place of feeling the world is closing in on you. What do I do when I feel the world is closing in on me? What do I do when I feel anxious or worried or fearful? Karasika, I call out to you, Hashem. Minameitzar, meitzar is Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim was a place, Minameitzar. I call out to you. So why is Hashem saying, why are you crying out? If you ever come to a Goldberg Seder, you'll hear Yochevet give it Torah on Minameitzar, Karasika. That's her Dvar Torah to Seder. So, is that right? Yeah, if you push her after class, I'm sure maybe even though it's not Pesach, she'll share it with you now. <laughs> so, 
Last night we studied, today is the Yeretzite of Rav Yisachar Shlema Tachtal, the author of the Ema Banum Smecha, the Mishnah Sachir. And last night we had the class on him. And uh, first of all, it was, it was, my mind was blown because at the end of an hour and a half class where I'd done some research and read several articles, books, and put together his biography and we studied some of his svarim and we understood or we tried to analyze the transformation he went through virulently anti-Zionist, a close confidant of the Minchas Aluzer, the Munkach Rebbe, into his Ema Banim Smecha, which is kind of the textbook of religious Zionism. And at the end of the class, a woman stands up and she says, my maiden name is Teichtal, that was my great-grandfather. Wow. And, and tells family <laughs> stories. It was, it, was really, uh, it was really unbelievable. Why am I telling you? Because today's is your tight. And I wanted to learn a little piece of his different forum last night. You could find this class online on Torah if you like, with the PowerPoint and the source sheets. So we learned a piece from his Mishnah Sachir on Parsha. Parsha's Peshalach. And he asked this question there. Why is Hashem criticizing? What are you calling out to me? And he quotes his Rebbe, the Chusterov, Rev Greenwald, the Chusterov, who I've told several stories about because Yechavit's grandfather was in the camp with in the barrack with the Chusterov, who he credited with saving his life and his longevity. He credited with the bracha he got from the Chusterov. So the Chusterov answers this question, quoted by Rav Teichtal in his Sefer, that Tzadik Gozer HaKadosh Baruch The Gemara says that when a righteous person says something, Hashem makes nature conform. The world conforms to what the Tzadik is Gozer. So Hashem was saying to Moshe, why are you davening? Why are the people davening? You're a Tzadik, just be Gozer. As a tzaddik, just say, hey, see, split. And the world will conform to what the tzaddik states. And this was, he's quoting the Chusterov on an insight with Miriam. When Miriam is struck with tzaras, he says a short tefillah instead of a long tefillah because tzaddik goes in our Kodesh Baruch Mekayim. This was the Chet Mei Moriva when Moshe wasn't allowed entry into Eretz Yisrael because he hit the rock. And there's 101 opinions. What exactly did he do wrong when he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock? So the Chusterov says, you know what he did wrong? He should have realized, Tzadik goes there, Kosh Baruch HaMekayim. All Moshe had to do was say, Rock, be a water fountain. And it would have been a water fountain. But he didn't. Because his humility was so great, he didn't see himself as a Tzadik or didn't want to use the superpower of the Tzadik. And that was the mistake. That's why he was criticized. So the, so Rav Teichtal, quoting the Chuster Rav, says, maybe that's the Peshat here. Matitzak Eli. Why are you davening to me? You're a Tzadik. I've been given you capacity. Tzadik goes our Kaddish Borcha Mekayim. It's a very Hasidish notion, the doctrine of the Tzadik. Hasidus is very much built on the notion of the doctrine of the Tzadik. You attach yourself to the Tzadik, and part of your avoda to the Ribbon Shalom is through attaching yourself to the Tzadik. Not Chas Shalom worshipping the Tzadik, but the Tzadik having a special closeness and confidence and relationship with Hashem, that one can attach themselves to Hashem through the tzaddik. It's known in Hasidus as the doctrine of the tzaddik. The idea of eating shirayim. If you eat the shirayim of a tzaddik, of a rebbe, so when that tzaddik ate the food, when you and I eat the food, it's for our boich. We're fressing on the food because we love food. We're foodies and it's delicious. When the tzaddik eats the food, he's only eating the food to live and he transforms the food from food into something ruchni, a spiritual nourishment. So he has transformed the status of the food. If we can get leftovers of that food, we eat the shirayim, and so on and so forth, the doctrine of the tzaddik. So that piece by Rav Tachtal, who was a Hasidish rav himself, and very close with many Hasidish rabbis, 
So that doctrine of the Tzadik, that's how he answers the Pshat. But come back to the Nesiva Shalom. So why is Hashem criticizing? Close the sitter, close the Tehillim. What are you davening? Start walking. The whole way that we first got out of Mitzrayim, redemption was first launched by our crying out to Hashem. So it worked once, why wouldn't you try it again? The whole catalyst for the redemption, it began because we cried out. What is wrong with crying out? So the Rechaim HaKadosh, Rechaim Ibn Atar, the Rechaim Atar says the following, Midas Adin, the attribute of divine adjustment was Makatrig. It was prosecuting the Jewish people and it was saying, Halalu v'halalu ovdei What do you think? The Egyptians are so wicked and evil and such pagans? The Jews aren't such hot stuff themselves. They've become assimilated. They've become influenced. They too are idolaters in Egypt. V'lo hayadai b'koach harachem milidchos esakatrig. And Hashem's compassion was not enough to be able to offset or to be able to balance the prosecuting voice. The prosecuting voice, whatever that means, the prosecuting angels telling Hashem, don't have compassion on this pathetic people. You think they're so worthy and the Mitzrim are so unworthy? They're no different. They're both a group of pagans. The Jews too worship idols. You're going to interfere with nature to save them? Eh, let nature take its course. Whatever happens, happens. Let the Egyptians get them because the Jews are much better. Hashem says, you know, they got a fair point. The Jews have not demonstrated they're so much better. They too are idolaters and pagans. So how do you respond? How do you offset? How do you negate the prosecuting voice? That Hashem says, you know what? Don't daven to me. I don't have the power to overcome. I don't have a good response to that prosecuting voice. Yisau. You know what the only response to that prosecuting voice is? You need to demonstrate emuna. The prosecuting voice is saying that you also don't have emuna. You're a bunch of pagans and idolaters. The only answer, the only antidote to that voice is to demonstrate through your actions that that's not true. That you, in fact, have incredible faith. That you have emuna. And this is similar to what we discussed in the last several weeks. That the Chovas Alvavas, Rabbi Nabachia, the Ramban, the notion that Hishtadlis, effort and initiative, are not, are not the opposite of Amuna. Taking effort and showing initiative does not detract from the faith we have. In fact, it's the opposite. It is an expression of faith. And I'll say further the more improbable and the more unlikely that the effort you're about to undertake will be successful, the greater it is an expression of amuna and bitachon that you have. So when you do something that's likely not going to work, it's a long shot. You do an experimental treatment. You go see another doctor. You try something one more time. You give it one more shot. You go above and beyond and extend yourself. You take a risk which makes no sense. When you go above and beyond and you do something which is improbable, borderline impossible, what you're saying is, Ribono Shalolam, I put my trust and my faith in you. But I know you like to operate through the natural world. 
So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something special here. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something special here. Danny Grejauer, Allah Shalom. An extraordinary woman from our community, a great teacher, mother, friend who passed away this year. Chose eight years she lived with her brain tumor, eight years she lived with her diagnosis and didn't tell anyone. Didn't even tell her family for a long time and certainly didn't tell even her closest friends. Literally no one knew she lived heroically. So a couple things that are important to be said. One is that this is not this is not necessary for everybody. This is not the standard. It's not the default. It was what was right for her. And no one should feel bad if they need help, turn for help and support, tell other people, rely on them for their tefillos. There certainly is a perspective in Judaism that one should tell as many people as possible to invoke their tefillos. But at the beginning of her diagnosis, eight years ago, she went to a great gadol, a great posek, and wanted to know whether it was legitimate and justified for her not to share, not to tell people. She didn't want to feel she was a nebuch or a source of pity. She didn't want to feel dependent and reliant. She didn't want to be defined by her illness. She wanted life to go on as normal as possible. And for seven and a half years, that strategy worked for her husband and for her children. It was extraordinary. So the posek told her that what she had, in fact, was so dire, and we know tragically that that diagnosis, not for everybody, please God, there are miracles, but is very dire, that he said, you know, if people know about it, and you were to have longevity and survive, it would be a miracle. To challenge HaKadosh Baruch to do a miracle, we don't do that. The less if people don't know, and he were to perform a miracle, nobody would know you're giving Hashem the outlet. You're giving Him the ability to do a miracle where it wouldn't be a revealed miracle, and He's more likely, and it's easier, and He's more predisposed to do a miracle, which is not a revealed miracle, than a revealed miracle. I thought that was a very, very interesting answer. I don't know that it was a proscriptive answer, meaning he wouldn't tell anyone with that that they have to do that. But that was her inclination. She wanted it, and he found a source in halacha for her to be able to, to live the way that she wanted. So we have this principle, this idea, that Kirsch Baruch Hu doesn't interfere with nature, doesn't violate nature. He set nature in motion, and for the most part, it is in motion. Only in extraordinary circumstances for extraordinary people would he interfere with nature. So the more we do Ishtadlis, when we take initiative, when we do things, when we take action, we're inviting Hashem to be able, we're giving Him an opening. We're enabling Him to do His thing. So says the Orachayim HaKadosh, here the Makatreg, the prosecuting voice is saying, these Jewish people aren't worthy if you're doing a miracle. So Kodesh Baruch says, you know what, you're right. They're davening to me and putting it all on me, forget about it. You can't delegate responsibility. You got to be my partner. What are you willing to risk? Where's your skin in the game? What are you willing to do? What initiative are you willing to take? Are you willing to believe in the improbable? Are you willing to put faith in the impossible? Are you willing to risk? And Nasha Menaminadav does exactly that. He starts walking and he takes the ultimate risk because the water goes up to his ankles and his knees and his waist and his shoulders and his mouth and it's about to go to his nose when a Kodesh Baruch Hu splits the sea. Va'inyan. You know, there are times that our davening just doesn't work. There are times that our davening, sasam tfilasi. In Eicha, the Navi tells us, sasam tfilasi. By the way, because of this, Tisha B'Av morning, we're not wearing tefillin, and we limit the tefillos that we say. We don't say, Mishabeir Cholim. We don't really do Bakasha. There are times we're so alienated from the Ribbonah Shalom that he says, you know what? I'm not really interested in your words. I don't really want to hear what you have to say. Sometimes people can be so alienated from one another. 
a husband and wife, chas v'shalom, parents and children can be so hurt, a relationship can be so damaged, you say, sasam tefilasi, save it. I'm not interested in what you have to say. They're empty words. They're hot air. I don't want to hear it. I can't even talk to you right now. I can't even hear that from you right now. So the Rebona Shalom turned to the Jewish people and he says, and this is how we feel, Tisha of morning, we sit low to the ground, no talus, no tefillin. We don't say our full prayers. Sosom tefillasi. Kodesh Baruch says, save your hot air, save your empty words. It's too late. The damage has been done. Your actions speak so much louder than your words possibly could. So there are times that our tefillos are empty. We're saying, Kodesh Baruch I love you and you're amazing and I want to have loyalty to you and I'm asking you to do this for me. And he looks at us and he says, are you kidding? Save your empty words, save your hot air. But you know, even in those moments, even in those moments, and the same again is true in the human relationships, a husband and a wife, parents and children, friends, where the relationship has been damaged, borderline broken, and there aren't words that can heal, there aren't words that can repair, but what can still repair? Action. Demonstrating loyalty and love. Don't tell me and don't pledge and don't promise. Show me. Show me. Put it into action. When a Jew says, you know, I'm not just putting it into words, Hashem. I'm going through crisis. I'm not just going to open my Tehillim. I'm not just going to put it all on you. I'm going to demonstrate that I believe in you. I'm going to show that I put all my faith in you. Not just with words. Anyone can say words. Not everybody says words. But we could say words. It's easy to open a sitter, open a tehillim, start talking to God. God, please spare me. God, please save me. God, please intervene. God, please do. And I don't mean to minimize the power of words because communication is the essence of a relationship. I met last week with somebody not from our community, came for advice because he's having struggling with davening. And to his great credit, He's not going to davening. He stopped davening altogether and he doesn't like who he's become and how he feels and he wants to address that. I give him remarkable credit. I told him, as long as he's in the struggle, he's already won. Mm-hmm. Plenty of people have experienced that. They've stopped struggling. He's in the struggle. And I said, it's a similar answer I gave. I was on a panel at Young Israel Deerfield last week. They talked about uh, people talking during davening and davening and how you grow in davening. I said, you know, the, the challenge, I heard this from a great rabbi in Eretz Israel, the challenge is that we focus on davening but really the emphasis is not davening, it's being a davener. What's the difference between davening and davener? Davening is, do I understand the words I'm saying? Am I articulating them correctly? Am I on the right pace? Am I in the right page? Am I in the right place with the tzibur? That's davening. Davener is, am I having a conversation with Hashem? Do I believe in Him? Do I believe He's listening? Do I believe He cares what I have to say? Do I believe He'll respond to what I have to say? Am I having a genuine, authentic conversation with Hashem? So I said to this young man, who came to me, I said, you know, you're very focused on davening. Why aren't you interested in davening? Why doesn't davening do it for you? How can you get back into davening? All great questions. But, you know, if you look at a relationship and there's a breakdown in communication, then you have to look at the whole relationship. Communication is a symptom of the relationship in general. So you have to look at the relationship. Are you in love? Are you invested in the relationship? Are you making time? Do you feel the presence? Do you feel loyalty to the other? Communication is one part of a greater relationship. So the, the Islam Rebbe says, Kush Baruch is telling the Jewish people, communication is important. That's great. Talk to me. But you know what? If your actions are not consistent with your words, your words don't do it. 
you don't get to neglect and ignore Hashem. And you don't, dominating to Hashem can't just be one of the things on your checklist. Well, I went to the doctor and I did this and I took the vitamins and I did here. And oh yeah, superstitiously, I also want to make sure I davened. Because if I don't daven, then, then the thing may not work out. So on my list of superstitions that I do are the initiatives I take and the superstitions I follow. And one of the superstitions I follow is check. I said my tehillim. I did my davening. I took care of my, my uh, talking to Hashem. I, I wasn't focused on one word. I don't know one word I said. I'm not even sure he's listening. I don't feel his presence. I don't really trust him. I don't put my faith in him. But check, I did my davening. Because Shabbat says in that case, Matitzakilai. What do you think? You get away with just calling out to me and I'm going to come to the rescue? No, 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 no. No. You have to start. You saw. I want to see your action. So sometimes saw some tefillasi. Sometimes the talk doesn't do it. You say to your child, I don't want to hear again that you're going to try harder in school. You deserve your devices back. You want to be ungrounded. Show me. You got midterms. Show me your grades. Show me your studying. Show me the effort. No more talk. No more talk. Talk is cheap. I don't want to hear from my spouse. I'm sorry I spoke to you that way. I'm sorry I promised I'd be home and I didn't come home. I'm sorry I came. Whatever. I don't want, let's say someone says, I don't want to hear that anymore. <laughs> I want, just show me. Show me. Be home when you said you're going to be home. Be on time when you say you're going to be on time. Be there and show up when you say you're going to be there. I don't want to hear the words. Enough with the words. Show me. You want to win me back? You want to overcome the prosecuting voice, which is much louder than your words? The only thing louder than the prosecuting voice, which is louder than your words, are your actions, are your deeds. And here, in this case, the deed is bitachem. So stand there, Kodesh Baruch Hu says, put up, put up or stop talking because it's being recorded, so I can't say that. Put up or stop talking. This is a rated G sheer, clean. God and you, I put trust, I'm not ashamed. A person came to the town of the king and slept outside. So the guards of the king found somebody hopping a shluf outside the White House. So they were going to uh, put him in handcuffs and throw him away. No, no, no. Before you put me in handcuffs and whisk me away, no, I'm related to the present. I'm related to the king. They wait till the morning and they go and they ask the king, they ask the president, No, do you recognize this? This guy? Do you recognize me? He said, No. So, how are you a member of my home? The truth is, I'm not a member of your family and I'm not related to you. But I have such faith in your kindness that I knew that if I said I'm a member of your home, you couldn't help but want to help me. I wouldn't try this at home. You know what? You know what? Since he put his faith in me, flattery will get you everywhere. Since he put his faith in me, he slept outside, he, 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 he set up camp outside, he did everything he could to get an audience with me because he thought that when all hope was lost, he put his trust in me. And he risked everything. Sleeping outside, he could have been beaten, he could have been imprisoned. He risked everything. He demonstrated with action, bless you, he demonstrated with action that he put his faith in me. So you know what? I'll help him. God, I put my trust in you. I'm taking risks and I'm demonstrating that I put my trust in you. We saw this also 
Queen Esther, Esther Amalka, that even though Shechina was withdrawn, she lost her prophecy, but she doubled down on her faith. When she went into Achashverosh, what did she, she fasted three days and she uttered a prayer. She said, Ribona Shalom, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm not invited in there. He didn't invite me to have an audience. This is not my week with the king. And if I go in there uninvited, he could behead me. I could have the same, I could have the same consequences as Vashti. But Ribona Shalom, I have to take my initiative. And I'm not going to sit here. Esther Amalka didn't sit in the chamber of the queen, Zogin Tehillim. What did she do? She got up. And she went in and demanded an audience with the king. And she took great risk. But with that risk, she showed her bitachon. So she closed her tehillim. She stopped with the words, Hashem, it's all up to you. Do a miracle. I want to sit here passively. And I want to be a spectator. And I'll be the audience. And I will be apathetic. And you take care of me. She didn't say that. She got up, she ricked it all. And she demonstrated with her action what far surpassed what her words could say. <coughs> So when it came to leaving Mitzrayim, that was the fulfillment of a promise. Did the Jewish people have to demonstrate great faith? They did. We studied that in the past too. They tied the lamb to the bedpost and the deity of the Egyptians. They slaughtered it, collected its blood, spread it, smeared it on the doorposts. And they told their neighbors, you see your God? It's now my wall decoration. And that took incredible courage and bravery. They did do their part. But anyway, says the Salaam Rebbe, Kadesh Baruch made a haftacha, bris bin absarim. God made a promise to Avram. Your children, your progeny are going to be enslaved, but after it all, I'm going to take them out. They're going to leave with great wealth. So they didn't need to do anything to be the catalyst for that beginning stage of redemption. That was the fulfillment of a promise made earlier to the great Zayda to Avram. But now that promise has been fulfilled. They're out of Mitzrayim. Hashem doesn't owe the Jewish people anything when they're stuck between the Mitzrayim and the Kriya and the Yamsuf. Hashem doesn't owe them. There is no promise that is, that is standing. So what is the thing that's going to get them out? They can no longer afford to be passive. They can't be spectators. You got to get up and you got to do. You have to reveal that your faith is in Hashem. Jump in. Sometimes you got to take a leap. Sometimes you got to jump in. Even when it means leaving your comfort zone. Even when it's uncomfortable. You got to jump in. You know, the Medrash says, and this is a play on the word, Yosef was Vayanas Hachutza. Yosef ran away when Eshes Potiphar relentlessly pursued him, propositioned him. Yosef summoned superhuman, supernatural strength and withstood the temptation of Eshes Potiphar. And there the Torah describes Vayanas Hachutza. He ran outside. And the Medrash says he ran Hachutza. You could have just said Vayanas. He ran. Why do you have to say hachutza outside? Isn't that obvious that where he ran was hachutza outside? And the Medrash says that term, that word hachutza should be reminiscent. The Salam Rebbe actually continues with this in the next piece, which we're not going to learn. I taught it on Sunday. It's online if you want to hear it. But what is hachutza reminiscent of? Hashem tells somebody, go outside and look up. Who does he tell? 
Avram, go outside, hachutza, go outside and look up and count the stars. The notion of hachutza is leave your comfort zone. Leave what comes naturally. Don't calculate the world based on probability and possibility. Don't live down here on earth. Don't live in the world of the natural. When, you, when he tells Avram, go outside hachutza and look up, give a kick, look at the stars, count the stars. What is he telling Avram? Ein mazal Yisrael. You know, everyone else is bound by astrological signs. Every other nation, every other people, every other individual on earth, they're bound by the laws of nature. So you're bound by the, this world. But you, the Jewish people, collectively and individually, Ain mazal Yisrael. Look up at the stars. You live in the heavens. You're not bound by the rules down here on earth. So hachutza, go out of your comfort zone and go out of what comes naturally to you and go out of the rules of nature and believe in me. And know, tamim tiyem Hashem alokecho. Know, put your faith not in Dion Warwick and the, and the Psychic Friends Network, not in the astrological signs, not in the horoscope, don't put your faith in any of that narishkeit of a red bendel or skulas or any of that silly superstition. Hashem says, I took you out of Egypt to leave all that silly superstition behind. Don't follow the silly superstition. Yesterday, there's a minute to say Parshas Amman on the Tuesday of the week of Beshalach. Now, the notion of saying Parshas Amman is referenced in the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch says, Tov, it's good to say Parshas Amman. It's good. But many people misunderstand. Why is it good to say Parsha Saman? You don't make brachas, you eat non-kosher, you don't keep Shabbos. You speak a lot of Lashonari, you cheat in business, you don't pay your taxes honestly. You're an ice fire, you don't come to shul, you don't do this, you scream at your kids. And then I said Parsha Saman, so now it's a skula for Parnassa. Oh, I'm going to do phenomenally well this year. My Parnassa, my stocks are going to go up, my bonus is going to be fat. Why? Because I said Parsha Saman. I don't really work so hard. I cheat on taxes. I cut corners. I ruthlessly compete. I'm mean to my coworkers. But I zogged Parsha Saman. I said Parsha Saman. So I'm guaranteed Parnasa. You know what that is? Avodah Zarah. That's paganism. That's the Avodah Zarah. It's foolish and it's stupid and it's superstitious. And that's the way the Egyptians live. Because Baruch took us out of Egypt. You don't say Parsha Saman. The Shulchan doesn't say it's good to say Parsha Saman because it's some skula. Why is it good to say Parsha Saman? Our Parsha, Parsha B'Shalach has the Mon. This is the Parsha of Amuna. Why is, the parsha, why is it good to say Parsha Saman? Because you realize, just like in the Midbar, the Mon fell from heaven, it came from Hashem. It wasn't just the Ishtadlis of the people. Ultimately, Hashem is the decisor of how much Parnassah. So that reminds me that even though I go to work, and even though I try hard, and even though I take my initiative, I put my faith in the Rebona Shalom, and I realize that ultimately my Parnassah comes from Him. The reason to say Parshas Amun is to support and reinforce Amuna, not to act with some foolish, silly superstition. I love every day I see the people, they say Pitamak Torahs from a klaf. It says, I think it's the Kafachayim, if you say Pitamak Torahs from a klaf, written like a klaf, like a Torah, oh, school of Parnasa. So you see all over the people who've been indicted, who spent time in jail. I'm not joking. I won't say certain communities I visit and I daven and you see, you know, they just got out and they've got their parashas amun or they're on their way in with their parashas amun. You see the people, they walked in late to shul, they leave early from shul, they talked all of davening and they had the shortest shmon esri on the planet. But, they were sure to say parashas amun from a cloth before they left. And you say, 
I'm sorry, Pitamaktoras from Maklav before they left. And you say, you fool. You have an audience with the king. Shmona Esra is your opportunity to talk directly to the Ribbona Shalom. Imagine you're invited into the Oval Office and the president says, tell me what you need, tell me what you want, I'm happy to help. And you say, excuse me one second, I'm reading my horoscope. <laughs> what are you, will you leave me alone? I can't talk to you right now. I can't talk to you right now. I'm reading my horoscope. Or I can't talk to you right now, Mr. President in the Oval Office. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I have this little superstition that I do if I want the stock market to go up. So it's ridiculous. So we left all that superstition. And we're supposed to place our amuna and our bitachon directly in and with the ribbona shalom. So the Torah, Torah, Doshi Nitzchis, Umelamedes Bezeh, Hain Leisha Prati, Vain Leklaus Yisrael, Shigamba Matsav Shalokaya, Kray Yaman Velosa, Nevalila Vodumioli, Adainish Eitz of Bekoch Abitachim, Shishim Katrig, Katrog, Eno Yachol Akev Baada. When all help seems lost, and when we feel desperate, and there's a real sense of urgency and crisis, that's not the time to open the Tehillim. And let me rephrase that. We also open the Tehillim, but not at the expense of our bitachon and emuna. Go to the doctor. Go to a 10 more singles networking and go meet the 400 more shadchanim and go set up a thousand more appointments to network and to make a, a business, get a job. If you want the Ribbono Shalom to come through, you have to say, Ribbono Shalom, what I'm about to do is painful and annoying and there's risk involved and it's time consuming and it hasn't been successful yet and it's improbable and maybe impossible and against all odds. But you know why I'm doing it? Because my bitachon and emuna are in you. I'm giving you the window. I'm opening the door for you. Walk through. Make it happen. Bring me the results. I'm not going to sit back. I'm not hopeless and helpless. I'm not giving up. Nor am I being a spectator to my own life. I'm not just watching passively. I'm getting up. I've closed my tehillim. And I'm going at it again. And I'm trying again. And I'm doing more. And I'm taking risks. And I'm demonstrating my amuna and my bitachon are in you. Action is not antithetical to emuna. It is another expression of emuna. We pray with our words and we pray with our deeds. And he says, furthermore, we can explain. The Jewish people lifted their eyes and behold, they saw the Egyptians were pursuing them. They weren't worried about their physical well-being and safety. What did they see about the Mitzrim that were pursuing them? They saw the spiritual impurity. They saw the mentality. They saw the spiritual corruption coming after them. That's what they were afraid of. They lift their eyes to Hashem and they say, Hashem, they dive and spare us. Don't be afraid. Stand, and you're about to see Hashem do His thing. When Moshe tells the people, His Yatzvu, a great Avon Fried song, Avon Fried, His Yatzvu, stand still, and you'll see Hashem's salvation. What does His Yatzvu mean? Stand firm in your Amuna. Don't let your Amuna waver. Don't let your amuna shake. Don't hesitate in your amuna. Stand firm in your amuna. You know, it's not enough to stand firm in your amuna while sitting back on your couch. When 
when there's something so so above nature, such an urgency of the crisis, it demands an urgency of action. You got to take risks. On the back page now. There are times that crying out doesn't help. You've got to do your part. We have to do our part. What risk are we willing to take? There's a story of someone who comes to a great Hasidic Rav and, and cries out to the Rebbe to daven for him. And I don't remember exactly the story, but basically the Rebbe explains that unless the person davens for themselves, his tefillos aren't going to help. You can't just delegate your faith to others. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you daven for me, you give me a bracha, you do the things in my merit. You can't delegate your faith to others. Faith has to be demonstrated most authentically, genuinely, from ourselves, otherwise it's counterfeit. Inyam bitachon, let's finish up. Umadrega nala yosir be'amuna. Shamamim ba'as hashem elav shemavada yoshioso. Yesh bezem be'ez madregos. Yesh bitachon b'shev ve'atasav. Yesh bitachon b'kum ba'asay. There are two forms of faith. There's a faith where I so believe, but I sit back passively. And there's the faith which I am willing to act and take risks. That's how strong my faith is. There are great moments, and they call and they call for great action, and not just great talk. Moshe was saying, Just stand still, be firm. You could be passive, but be firm in your faith. To which Hashem said, No, 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 no. Don't stand still. Don't be Hisyatsvu. So there are moments that call for standing firm in your faith by standing still and davening. And there are moments that call for being firm in your faith, not by standing still, but by action. We should all merit great miracles, great salvation, that our tfilos and our actions should combine to bring us the redemption that we seek.